everyone, and welcome to New Matter, SLAS's podcast. I'm Vicki Luisi, CEO for SLAS and your guest host. This week, I am very happy to introduce you to our new scientific director, Marshall Brennan. Hi, Marshall. Hey, how's it going, Vicki? Good, good. We are absolutely delighted that you have joined us. Um, I think it's been a couple weeks now, and I just wanted to take a minute to chat with you and introduce you to our community. So for those of you who haven't already read about Marshall's background, he comes to us from the American Chemical Society, where he founded and oversaw and launched the development of ChemArchive prior to ACS. He was an associate editor with Nature Chemistry, did some postdoc work at the University of Texas, Austin, and is a proud University of Illinois alumni with a PhD in chemistry from the University of Illinois. So uh, that's Marshall's background in a nutshell. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what Marshall and I and the rest of the team plan on doing together going forward. And I know, Marshall, you're having other conversations with some of the folks in our community diving into some of more of the science work that you've done in the past. So tune into those podcasts because those will be coming soon as well. Marshall, we ask everyone on our podcast this question as we start. And so I'm going to ask you the same. Can you describe what you do in 10 words or less? The benefit of uh, being officially associated with this podcast is I got to see that this was coming. Um, So aspirationally, I connect researchers to high-quality, cutting-edge research and opportunities. That was outstanding. It was almost (laughs) as if you were ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I definitely don't have it written down in a notebook numbered in front of me. Of course not. That would be cheating. Of course not. I'm sure you didn't didn't organize lots of words and take them out to keep yourself to 10 a number of times at all before our conversation. So, okay. I I have been at least giving folks another chance to maybe use more than 10 words. So maybe you you could describe what you're doing for SLAS in more than 10 words. And fully understanding, folks, that Marshall has been with us for about two and a half weeks. So this question may not be incredibly verbose, and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's it's hard to believe that it's been such a short period of time. Uh, there's so much happening at SLAS and so much to sink my teeth into that it really feels like I've been here forever in the most positive ways. You know, it's a great place to be. and so. What I do for SLAS is I I act as the scientific voice in the room for the professional staff. And so we obviously have a community of researchers throughout the organization and our board of directors on our PCDC, the various aspects of our volunteer community. Um, But when we're setting strategy and we're uh, making decisions that are ultimately science-based, having someone on our professional team to liaison with those external parties to make those decisions and provide guidance internally um, is really important. And so functionally what I do is uh, in conjunction with my colleagues who are overseeing the journals and our education and our awards is to make sure that we are uh, always at the cutting edge of the lab automation and screening writ large community. And that's part of providing that high quality cutting edge research. And so generally speaking, the mission of SLAS is to make sure that we're, you know, providing high quality education and knowledge and and all of those uh, related aspects that support scientists 
And I'm here to make sure that it's alignment with our scientific uh, goals. Yeah, exactly. And we've already had some really interesting and exciting conversations about where all of that can go with your expertise. Um, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But first, tell the audience, why did you take this job? You you were in arguably one of the most well-known, largest professional scientific societies in the world. And yet this job was appealing enough, so appealing to draw you away from that. Well, don't sell SLES short, Vicki. Um, you know, <laughs> so the, the way it comes down to is SLES is, of course, a smaller organization in most respects that you would measure it. However, that being said, I very strongly believe that SLAS and small targeted organizations like it can have an outsized impact on the community. And so what I mean by that is that when you think about a large organization like ACS, well, the work that they do is really important. I have no intention to disparage anything that my former colleagues uh, have done and will continue to do. Um, but by definition, supporting all of chemistry means that there's different priorities that are going to affect what they can and can't do for the really timely uh, activities in each area. From my perspective, when we think about automation and screening and the sort of discovery sciences, as I like to call them, the science of doing science in a way, there's a lot of opportunities that I think are hard for an organization like ACS, which has to blanket an entire field, to address, whereas we are more like the pool queue at SLAS, where we have a smaller approach velocity, but we have uh, the ability to do so in a really targeted way that has a really strong impact. Uh, And so that's ultimately why I came over to this side um, to join SLAS and guide the scientific vision here, is I ultimately wanted to be closer to the scientists and the science And I really believe that the mission and ability of SLAS to impact this really important branch of the science community, I think that that is worth making that change. And so far, it's paying off because there's some fantastic people in this community. And those are the folks that I want to support and be able to help them grow in their careers and their uh, research programs. I love that analogy of the of the pool queue, and I think that is just so spot on of exactly the comparison of an organization of SLAS's size but focus as compared to an organization like ACS. Um, and I I agree. I too like working in an environment that has more focus and can get deeper into fewer things rather than broadly touch a lot of things in not so deep of a manner. So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You definitely, as I said, you know, in the in our opening here, you certainly have some deep skills in publishing and certainly product development. How do you see yourself using those skills and, and how will they translate to SLAS? Right. Yeah. So my background is actually pretty weird, like just in the product management community writ large. It's not often that you get someone with a hardcore fundamental chemistry PhD who then goes on to build digital products. And so from that perspective, where that helps is in our ability to grow SLAS and our offerings in a very product-centric way. And it's easy to, to think of SLAS as a membership organization, that that's primarily what we do. The way we support our membership is with products like our journals and our e-learning platforms and all the other uh, conferences and whatnot that we, we put out that provide that rich knowledge base. 
And especially as we uh, want to ex- extend SLAS's reach to countries that aren't quite as uh, commonly familiar with the joining professional organizations, our ability to support that community has a lot to do with our ability to offer them products that augment their ability to carry out their day-to-day work. And so that's what I can bring to the table is I've had the ability to both build, uh, launch, and scale really uh, researcher-centric products. And I hope to be able to take that expertise to really make sure that we're supporting our uh, researchers well. Yeah, well, and I think um, anybody listening to this now might have some insight as to why you got this job. And that is that perception of our, our offerings being products. And that is that is something that in the time I've been here that we've really changed an our focus towards and or shifted our perception is that everything we deliver and develop is viewed as a product for the reason of giving it a business eye and giving it that business eye ensures then that the product is going to achieve the goals that we want it to achieve. So if we're talking about a new educational offering, we need to make sure that it's meeting the needs of the audience, it's going to reach the audience, that it's got some research and data behind it that tells us exactly what direction to take it. So that's that businessy side of how we've been looking at things in recent years. And your experience and similar philosophy there has just naturally fit right in with the rest of the team. Right. And I think I think one thing that's you know important to point out too is that the advantage of coming from both sides of this, both the research and the business background, is that the needs of researchers are sometimes difficult to tease out if you haven't been in that that community. And so having worked through, you know, all the trials and tribulations of being an academic and an industrial researcher myself, you know, I can identify those pain points. And so I, I'm hoping that uh, the products that uh, I assist to building at SLAS will really nicely fit into uh, what our researchers ultimately need. And I'm going to be looking for feedback from our community to make sure that I'm doing a good job at that. And I'm sure they'll be happy to give it to you. (laughs) Knowing this community, they're great at sharing their opinions and expertise and insights. So no worries there. All right. This is kind of a broad question. So you can answer this as narrowly or not as you choose. What opportunities do you see for us? Yeah, so with SLAS, we're at this really interesting point where the effective lab automation, both as a a tool for accelerating research, but also fitting into this increasingly complicated post-COVID world we're in, means that the technologies that we're supporting are more important than they've ever been and will continue to be so uh, into the future. And so when we look proactively toward the things that we need to uh, be ready to support to help our uh, researchers do more uh, in the future and support this growth into automation and bring it out there. There, there are two things. So the cutting edge research aspect of this is that things like uh, AI and uh, like autonomous robots that interface with those algorithms are going to be really important because that's the sort of work that is going beyond just mimicking what humans can do, but we can now let the machines. Uh, do some of the thinking as well. And that's really powerful when we're trying to, you know, for instance, come up with treatments and vaccines for diseases in a very short time frame. You know, uh, it's not uh, unreasonable to think that having, you know, these sorts of uh, self-guided robotics uh, could be a huge benefit. And so 
that's a uh, burgeoning field that you know we're in a position to support and uh, look into from the perspective of not just the computer science and the engineering aspect of it, but bringing in our uh, lab expertise to identify opportunities that are going to really directly impact our researchers, but also get ahead of that curve to provide uh, training and education that gets researchers who aren't familiar with this technology onto those trends as well. Similarly, I think that our uh, position in uh, terms of growing the the journals and our education platforms to prepare our uh, young scientists in a world where we are more um, spatially disconnected than we've ever been before is really important. And so focusing on those knowledge dissemination techniques that are operating parallel to our in-person meetings, I know will be really important because folks who just started grad school or just started an assistant professorship this year, they're inevitably going to feel that uh, gap that uh, comes out from having had to be fully remote uh, for this critical time in their career. And we can fill that gap with our uh, educational opportunities and our ability to deliver them uh, the support that they need for both their research and their professional development. Right. Absolutely. So I'm going to get a little more geographically specific with that question now. Um, You know, we've had, we've been engaged in a growth strategy in Europe now for about seven years, and we will continue to invest in that region and hope to expand our footprint within Europe. Um, We are looking to go back to Asia and try to establish some collaborations in that region and provide content and products to people in that region as well. So what would you say we should be thinking about from a scientific content strategy for Europe and for Asia? So when we're, we're looking about SLAS as success in the United States, it has a lot to do with our rich history of supporting researchers here. There's that name recognition for what we can support. And so we've had a relatively easy time, I think, adjusting to the needs of our North American researchers. And so as we've seen SLAS uh, expand into Europe, there are a couple of things that are, are worth noting is that one, this is a different group of researchers with different expectations from their professional organizations. Uh, and so SLAS needs to address the its uh, offerings to uh, those specific individuals. For instance, the education system, even just within the UK, is very different. And as we look across Europe, the needs for different community support there is, you know, you can go uh, just a few hundred miles and have a completely different community of uh, folks to support. And so, as I mentioned earlier, when we start thinking about um, how we deliver our uh, knowledge and expertise in a product-like fashion, this becomes even more important because those are the sorts of opportunities um, that we can deliver to, you know, European researchers to make sure that SLAS is on the radar and that we know how to support them. Because the flavors of research that they're going after vary a fair amount. You know, the focus on biomedical research, especially in places like the Crick, uh, is very significant. And so making sure that we have the right resources for those particular groups is really important. And if we move over to Asia, there are all sorts of different challenges that we face over there that are a point of evolution for us and an opportunity for us to really evaluate what it is that it means to be part of the SLAS community. So even if you're not a direct member, what is it that you get for being for interacting with us, for being part of our community? 
And so, for instance, uh, if we think about you know the Japanese uh, research community, there is a very top-notch uh, industrial uh, research uh, program throughout Japan. And so, when we think about things like uh, the material synthesis on industrial scale, that's a group that can really benefit from the expertise that we bring. And maybe we adapt our offerings to uh, best address that. And we're already doing some of that, for instance, with things like Innovation Avenue and our connections with industry um, so that we can provide those tailored outreach opportunities. And of course, uh, you know, there's plenty of room to grow uh, in China and in uh, you know, places like uh, Eurasia. So Singapore is a really great hub for this sort of research. And again, it has to do with addressing those community-specific needs. And I'm excited about that, too. The language issues uh, from country to country are always going to be uh, something we need to take account of because it is ultimately a diversity issue. Um, but this is an opportunity for us to really expand our membership, uh, even if it's not in terms of a uh, someone who's uh, paid for membership, but the folks who are a part of our community and the uh, contributing to our vision for a uh, more rapid and uh, more autonomous uh, research future. And certainly, you know, something so basic as funding mechanisms in Europe and Asia are so very different than they are Mm -hmm. here in the U.S. For research, for the startup community in Europe, that funding mechanisms for them is very different than what we see here in the U.S. and maybe, you know, moving at a different pace than what we've seen here. So that alone can have such an influence on what the priorities are of members of our community in those particular regions. Um, I know some. I know we've had some initial conversations around Plan S and how, what that's going to mean for our journals. Certainly, that's a huge influencer in Europe mm-hmm. right now. And something similar may be coming to parts of Asia, but we'll, we'll stay tuned for that part. That's a whole other podcast, I think. Yeah, Plan S is such a complicated subject. I obviously have a passion for open science that we could spend hours on. And Plan S is the, the, as an approach to open science, has been very well-intentioned, but very difficult for uh, the publishing industry to adapt to. And so from that perspective, it's always a bit of a challenge discussing Plan S, in part because it changes so frequently, but also because it puts the, uh, a lot of pressure on us to adapt. But the other side of that, too, is that ultimately this is a pretty clear signal that open access and open science is really important to researchers, like you said, especially in Europe and the, the UK. Um, and so it gives us a good opportunity to really evaluate you know, what can we do here to be creative in solving that access issue for our uh, researchers uh, in those communities. And so I'm not going to say it's a simple challenge to address, but it's, it's one I'm, I'm, I'm eager to, uh, to work with our community to solve. Yeah. Well, and we need to. You know, that's something that is definitely starting to have influence here in the United States. So mm-hmm. we're it's something we have to pay attention to and and figure out how that influences the strategies for our journals. So we're going to kind of wrap up here and so we're going to go to something a little bit lighter to wrap up. In the very short time you've been with us, what would you say has been the most unexpected or weird or just really kind of amazing thing that has happened so far to you? Oh, wow. You know, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. And so, in, in the best way, because there's just so much going on all the time. And so, that probably itself has been the most unexpected, maybe. Um, but 
in terms of uh, whether or not I count it as unexpected is is up for interpretation. Um, but I have definitely been very delighted to find at how supportive our community is, at how every board I've talked to, whether it's a journal board or a board of directors or the folks on KCDC, they're all so eager to not just participate, but really just you know get into the weeds of this. And they're a very creative bunch, like in the number of just great conversations that have come out of started as a discussion about an SLAS business item, but evolved into just a really fascinating chat about, um, you know, the science that we support, you know, that, that's something that is, uh, hard to, uh, overvalue as a scientist in these, uh, this position in terms of, you know, weirder things. I have found that there are a lot of really interesting personalities, especially in the professional staff, and I won't give up anybody's uh, fun dietary uh, concerns, um, but I've found that uh, I fit in uh, better than I thought I would, and that's always a pleasant thing when you're starting with a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we definitely like to talk about food and all kinds of other fun food things. So I'm glad to hear that, that you felt very welcomed with that conversation. So that wraps things up here. And now that you have been officially introduced to the SLAS community, I am officially handing over the hosting duties to you. Um, we've had a series of guest hosts over the last couple of months who have done a fantastic job of filling in until you arrived. And I want to thank all of them. It's been great having others participate in this. And I think maybe in the future, we'll, we'll continue to do that on occasion. Um, so here, I am officially handing over the baton to you. And the New Matter podcast is now yours. Welcome, Marshall. Thank you very much. And yes, uh, it's a, a great honor to uh, be involved in this. And thank you to all the community members. And actually, I am looking forward to inviting some of those folks back on as co-hosts. And so for those of you who got really attached to our guest hosts uh, you know, over the past uh, few months, uh, fret not. Uh, we're going to uh, make sure that they moonlight from time to time. Yeah, so that would thank, be great. Thank you so, yeah, thank you so much for your time, Vicki. Uh, you know, it's been a pleasure. And I'm, I'm just eager to, to get back at it. <laughs> thank you, Marshall. Thank you, everyone at SLAS. And thank you for listening to this edition of the New Matter Podcast. <laughs>